Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. And good morning. Well, my name is Dalton. I am not the regular preacher here. And uh, I sure am thankful that I am not in this moment. Um, As I was just preparing this week, I could not help but think of how thankful I am for Greg and the other men in this church who will come up here and talk for about 35 minutes, sometimes more, sometimes less, about how good God is. Um, It's a beautiful thing, so I'm so thankful for Greg. But I have the opportunity of helping us launch into a brand new sermon series. Who's all excited for that? Because this series is going to carry us through the remainder of this year, and it's going to prep us for our Christmas Eve service, which I hope all of you can attend. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's going to be beautiful. Before I tell you about what I'm excited about, I want to share with you something that I'm not so excited about. In fact, for the last month, month and a half, I have been sick of this. I am tired of winter. Who else in here is tired of winter? Because, because not only a yeah, yeah, mix, 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 mix crew. Can I, can I tell you this real quick? I wasn't even going to say this, but when I think of the cold, there was a man named C.S. Lewis who wrote a book called Chronicles of Narnia. And when he was thinking about the epitome of evil, the antithesis to good, he made a queen of cold. That was, that is what cold is. I do not like the cold. And I also don't like the darkness. As a child, my God instilled in me to not or my father instilled in me to not like the darkness. I want to tell you a story that will tell you about who my father was, not about who he is today, okay? Because when I was little, my father loved to scare me. And a lot of times he used the darkness to do that. You see, when I was little and I would go to bed and I would have my door open and all the lights off, I'm ready for sleep, I would begin to hear monster noises outside of my door. I would hear a on the wall, and I would hear scratching on my door in the darkness. And the first time that I ever experienced this, I was so scared that I couldn't even move until my dad came in and was like, ah, I was just messing with you. And I was like, what? But even as he continued to do this just for fun, it still scared me because I couldn't see, because it was dark. And as I got older, my father taught me something else about darkness. As I, as I became a teenager, he had a specific rule for me. And the rule was that when I went out with my friends, I had to be home by the time the streetlights came on. Has anybody else had that rule? I looked at my dad, and I was like, Dad, what is the reasoning for this rule? And he said, Dalton, nothing good happens in the dark. And I was like, okay, that's really weird. And if I could go back... And if I could critique my father's parenting style just a little bit, I would tell him to be less concerned with me being wary of the darkness, but reminded of the light that I bring with me. And that even though life is going to bring some darkness, it's going to bring some hard times, it's going to bring some peril, that there is a light that I bring with me. Who in this room this morning is a testament that there was a God who came in and brought light to darkness. Jesus is light. In fact, it's written in the book of John that Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can we take a second just to praise God for who he is? Because if you want to learn something today, you got to start with praising him. 
That when he looked down and, and God saw what he had created and he saw that it was broken and that it was hurting, he did not decide to turn his back. He did not decide to avoid it. He decided to bring light into dark places. My God is beautiful light. How many are thankful that in your brokenness and in your bad decisions that God isn't afraid of your darkness or past, regardless of the amount of issues, he will step into the place that you are in and bring light to it. The funny thing about the dark is that in the dark, there can be a lot of dark and there's different levels of dark, but regardless of how dark the dark is, I just can't see. But even the smallest part of light brought into dark space will illuminate. That's what my God does. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is just light. It says that he's radiant. That'd be a pretty good name for a sermon series, wouldn't it? Or for like a knockoff church or, or something, I don't know. But that's, a, that's what we step into today is our radiant sermon series. Hebrews 1.3 says that he, and the he being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. And I love this, the exact imprint of his nature. Have you ever met someone who's radiant? Their joy, their happiness, their smile is just contagious. When I first met my wife, Lexi, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me about Lexi, is that every room that she stepped in, she brought joy and she brought smiles. But the beautiful thing is I've gotten to see Lexi. Lexi has her good days and her bad days. And there are days where, where Lexi is more radiant than other things. But when I think about Jesus... That, that Jesus is not just radiant in his joy. He doesn't bring just peace. His very presence is the radiance in the presence of God. Does this make sense? It's not just his joy. It's not just his peace. It's everything. It's that Jesus was God. Jesus, by his very nature, is radiant because he is the presence of God. His very presence shone light on the hurting and the broken. He healed, he cared for, and inspired. But how many of you know, whenever Jesus brings light to the dark places in you, you're not always prepared for it? Anybody else can, can, can reason with that? There are times where Jesus will shine light on dark places in me that I'm like, I don't want to address that. I don't want to mess with that. And so when Jesus came and he had his ministry, he was radiant, and there were different reactions to this radiance. There were people that submitted themselves to the heart of God and others that ran away from it. And so in this series, I want to challenge us as a church over the next four weeks to, mit, to submit ourselves to the radiance of God, to submit ourselves to the radiance of Jesus, that he would not just stay radiant, but that he would make me radiant myself. This is what we're going to do today. And we got to start here in Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, you want to turn there in your Bibles. Because in Micah chapter 6, we find the prophet Micah relaying to us a conversation that God has been consistently having with his people. And you're going to find this repeated just throughout Scripture and in your own life. And you're going to see some similarities to your own heart when you read the, the thoughts of the people here. Because it starts with the people of God's perspective. It says in verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I even give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And we see the response here. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Isn't it funny 
how defensive we can get when God challenges us on something. When I read this, I get the feeling of what am I going to do that's good enough for you? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and just challenge some of the things that you've been doing and you just start, you just start blurting out all of the things that you've been doing that been good enough or what do you want from me? This is the heart that I see here. If, if it was us saying this today, it'd be, God, do you want me to go to every single church function? Do you want me to go out and, and serve the homeless with, with my every single weekend that I have? Do you want to give everything that I can do to please you? But we see the response here that God is much less concerned with what the outward is and more about the heart. Because he says, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. And so over, over the next three weeks, we are going to talk about justice, kindness, and humility. But today we get justice. And I think that might be a striking word for some of us in, in our culture today. When I was thinking about justice, I was like, ah, I got to figure out even what to talk about and how to define this. And I, I found a, dish, a definition online that we're going to put up on the screen. The Oxford Dictionary, the all, the, you know, this is, this is really smart people. I looked it up and it said justice is just behavior or treatment. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's not. It's not. That, that didn't help me at all. That, that, that definition. I, and then I went and I looked up just, and, and I found that the world has a really hard time defining what just means and what justice means. And, and I reasoned with myself that the reason that it's so hard is because every person has been through their own, own traumas, their own experiences, the own things that, their own things that they've been through, and it has shaped the way they view good or bad. And so, so no wonder our, our societies and our countries struggle to get this thing right of what's good and wrong, because everybody has a different perspective. And I was like, God, what do I know about justice then if mine isn't even right? And I think about the people in the Bible who submitted their form of justice to the justice of God. And so say, God, regardless of my circumstance, regardless of my experience, I will submit what I think about justice to your form of justice. And so this morning, I want to look at the life of a man that can teach us a lot about doing justly. But the sad part here is we are not taking lessons from his life of what he did right. I want to look back and I want to tweak some of the things that he did wrong. Because I think there are a lot of people in this room that just some simple tweaks, some simple perspective changes that God can illuminate some darkness that is in us. And so if you are turning in your Bibles again, you can turn to 1 Samuel 8. And in this, in this chapter, in this section, we find in the Bible that this man that we're going to talk about was a king of Israel. He was a wonderful war hero. In fact, he was tall and he was handsome. But his life was filled with anxiety and bitterness because he failed to understand the justice of God. And in this scripture, again, we find God's people trying to reason with him again. We, it, just, it just continues. Uh, in this section, they're tired of being led by, by the way that God has been leading them. They've been looking at the other countries around them, and God has been leading them. And they say, we want a king. All the other countries have their own manly king, and we see that they have some riches, they have some fun times, and God responds with this. This is kind of the interaction here. 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9 says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. 
That's harsh to Samuel. This is Samuel who's, who's been leading in, in them by God's grace. So this is a good man. Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, from slavery, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And right there at the end, we see what God is foreshadowing. They're going to see what happens with what they wanted. They, I'm going to give them what they wanted. Isn't that interesting how, how free will works? How a lot of times that, that we're really excited about free will and we get to choose God, but then hard things happen to us and we, other people hurt us. And we're like, God, why do you allow free will? And, and God is, is, is constantly fighting this balance in our hearts of, of what free will is to us. But we find Saul here. Saul, if I just give you a little background of Saul, because I don't have time to go through his whole life today. Saul was chosen as king of Israel. This was the same Saul who disobeyed God and was told that he was going to lose this throne. This was the same Saul who was bested by a shepherd boy, if anybody remembers that. David and Goliath. This is the King Saul who watched on. This is Saul who had that same shepherd boy play the harp and then tried to kill him. And then this is the Saul who chased after David day after day after day to try and get his own form of justice. And before we even get into it, isn't it interesting that, that Saul's very origin story was birthed by people that were dissatisfied with the justice of God? Isn't it funny how my dissatisfaction with God's justice can hurt other people? It hurts other people. They looked at the nations around them, and they saw the riches and the fun, and so they asked for the king, and they got Saul. And so Saul has made the king, and the Bible says that Saul was tall and that he was handsome. On the outside, Saul had all the characteristics of a leader, right? You would have been excited to be led by Saul, but Saul did not have the inner to back it up. And so can we take a quick second and look at this, at the first thing that you're going to write down today if you're writing stuff down. No amount of goodness on the outside of you will ever outshine the radiance of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And that's, that's a mouthful, but no amount of goodness on the outside of you will ever outshine the radiance of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That's why there was a man in the Bible who ate locusts for his food and wore clothes of camel's hair, and he was the forerunner for Jesus. Because Jesus didn't care about John the Baptist doing all of these crazy things if his heart was submitted to the Lord. We can see the contrast here, and I can only imagine how much it hurts God's heart when, when he looks down and he sees his creation very sad, in despair over the way that we have been created, over our bodies. He doesn't care nearly as much about that. And I pray 
that you did not spend more time this morning, Glory Church, trying to cover up every blemish before you came to church. I pray you didn't spend more time doing that than you did preparing your heart for the presence of God. I pray that you woke up and that you said, uh, it doesn't matter so much what I look like. I I can try to look good, but I care much more about finding the Spirit of God resting in Glory Church. What do we care about? Because if we start to care more about ourselves, it's funny to misinterpret God's justice. This is why we celebrate a radiant Jesus who is concerned more with forgiving people of their sins than healing people of their bodies. That's why in Jesus, when Jesus has brought the man who's paralyzed and his friends take him and bring him through the roof and they set him down, he looks at Jesus and he's been, Jesus, I've been waiting for my legs to be healed. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. That's not what he was expecting. That's not what he was hoping for. But Jesus saw what really mattered in the man's heart. He said, your sins are forgiven. No outward characteristics could could make Saul prepared for the mantle of king that Jesus was always meant to fill. That's the beautiful part of this. It's the fact that God did not want an earthly king because Jesus was coming. Because there was a radiant Jesus. There was someone who was going to shine light. And Saul was never going to be able to do it well enough. And so that's why God wanted Jesus to come and be king. But instead, Saul gets put in this position. And we find Saul, they're going to announce him. They're going to bring him up. And the Bible says that they're going to announce him to all the people. And it says, Saul is hiding himself. This is a new perspective of Saul, for me at least, because when I think of King Saul, I think all of the arrogance, I think of all the pride, I think of all the issues, and I forget that at first Saul didn't even want to be king. That Saul, when they were presenting him, was hiding himself, that he was trying to avoid the mantle of king. God didn't want it, and Saul didn't want it. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you view God's justice when things happen to you that are beyond your control? I'll say that again. How do you view God's justice when things happen to you that are beyond your control? Because Saul is put in a position that he couldn't control. He was going to become king. You tell God, I didn't ask for this, and so why do I have to experience the trauma and the pain associated with it? And if I could go back and tell Saul, if I could just just tweak some things, I, I would tell him that although he was put in a position that he didn't ask for, he was put in a position where he got to be a part of what God wanted to do. And so even though he was in a position that God didn't initially want, that didn't mean his heart had to be surrendered to what the people wanted. He could have surrendered it to God. He could have said, God, your radiance is, gonna, is what's going to make me enough. And so, no, I might not be in the per- perfect circumstance. No, my situation might not be all together. But, God, I can lean on you. Saul could have done that. And so can you today. God's plan was always to allow Jesus to be the king of Israel. And so although people in the world placed Saul in a position he didn't want and ready for, he had the opportunity up close to see the vision of the Lord. And I want you to write this down. Misinterpreting God's justice is often a product of clouded vision. Misinterpreting God's justice is often a product of clouded vision. Because the truth is that Saul could have submitted himself to the vision of God and said, God, this isn't a perfect circumstance, but I see your vision. I see what you were going to do. And he could have submitted himself to that 
And I think of the way that God often feels misunderstood. We are entering into a Christmas season where many in this room are going to feel misunderstood. Because many of us are going to go to that old, the, that Christmas dinner, that Christmas lunch, and you're going to see relatives, you're going to see family that you have not seen for a year, and they're going to speak things over you that they have no idea about. They're going to talk about the traumas that they do not understand. They're going to say things that just drive you crazy, and we're going to hate being misunderstood. And when I put myself in the position of God, I can feel the way God feels about being misunderstood that is, that, is, that is justice is misunderstood. And so this, this topic of vision is important. I must understand the vision of God. I want to ask you this morning, do you have vision? If you leave with nothing else here today but vision, that would be beautiful. Because vision will drive you. I'll tell you what, this past week, I was sitting and I put on a worship song in my AirPods just as I was going around the house and I was doing things and I just let it be the background. And I was like, God, I need you to speak this week. I need you to speak to me because I'm going to go up and I'm going to have to say a lot of words to a lot of people looking at me. And so, God, I need your vision. I need to, to align myself with what you desire, with what you want from the people's hearts. I have to have vision for what you're doing. God, I need your vision. And it was beautiful. And the conviction I felt, can I tell you the conviction I felt when I realized how I could have vision and purpose like that every single time that I meet with my father? That it should not take a sermon, it shouldn't take some, some spiritual thing for me to have vision, for me to have purpose of what God is going to do. Saul didn't have to have it all together. He could have had vision for what, what God was going to do, and it would have been beautiful. Do you have vision this morning, regardless of your circumstance? If you remember, Paul was put in this place that he didn't want to be. And some in this room have been going through some things. And it's clouded the way that you view God's justice. And God says, would you align with my vision? Because I'm going to bring you through. And as I was having this time this week, God was speaking to me, and I shared this with my small group. I always feel like God is like super like spiritual and beautiful like when he's talking to me and then I'm responding with like my own experiences. Is anybody like, and so God's like saying all these beautiful things. I'm like, God, that's like Mario Kart. And he's like, how? And I say, well, God, if you guys have played Mario Kart before, uh, there's this thing called like the star power or star mode. Anybody know that? And so basically, this, this star power, when, whenever I eat this whatever little thing, it allows me, when I'm, when I'm running the race, when I'm driving, that any obstacle that comes my way just bounces off. And in fact, when, when I have this star power, I'm not even just like trying to avoid people. I'm looking for obstacles because it's a sign of the power that I have. And I wonder how many in this room need to view our obstacles, the challenges in our life, as simply things that can point to God's grace. That you can go out and you can tell your friends, yeah, I've been through some things. Yeah, I've been having some trouble with my relatives or with this or that. But God stands with me. I have the spirit of God. And so things can come, but they will never touch my heart. They will never touch my spirit. And so, so instead of misinterpreting God's justice, we say, God, thank you for being with me. Thank you for filling me with your spirit. And I, you can bring on the obstacles. I'll take them because you are good. 
We need that. I wonder how many in this room have been looking at God and saying, why? Can I challenge you to ask the question, what now? Could I get some friends in this room that are not, no longer going to look at God and say, why, 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 and said, say, what now? Because God, uh, life, the people around me are looking at me and they're seeing th- some things that have dragged me down and they could look at it as, as something that's bad or that my life doesn't have it all together. But instead, I want them to look at the power that you give me, that even in my circumstances, I will radiate joy. I will radiate peace. Nothing can touch me, God. What now? What now? And so back to Saul, he doesn't want to be king, but he is. And he begins to do pretty well. He's winning some victories, but many of you will know, we don't have time to get into it, that it doesn't last. And it's because Saul gets more carried away with meeting the needs and the wants of people than he does of meeting God's. And his vision is clouded. And so God prepares another man to eventually take Saul's position. A man after God's own heart, a little boy with a sling. And that boy, as he steps on the, the battlefield with his sling and his little pebble, is the exemplifier. I don't even know if that's a word. He shows God's goodness and his radiance to be able to step into a situation, God, and, and, and say to his God, yeah, I'm little. Yeah, there's some hard things happening. Yeah, there's a big giant, but I will trust in you. If I could just go back and tell Saul that he could have had that same kind of faith regardless of his position. And so can we. But we find after that battle, after that beautiful thing that David has done and Saul didn't, we, we see 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 7. I think they're going to put it up. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands. And I'm sure that that part, if it stopped right there, Saul was really excited about that. If you just stop right there, Saul was like, ah, yeah, that's me. I'm King Saul. And then they go, and David is ten thousands. Isn't even funny that a lot of people that didn't even understand the heart of God saw his power used in David and said, Saul's been a pretty good king, but man, this boy David is different. Man, David's getting different results because David had submitted himself to the justice of God as he stepped onto that battlefield. Can you imagine how upsetting that would be for Saul? But if I could go back one more time and I could look at Saul... And, and I, could say, I could say this, and I want you to write this down. Saul, someone else's blessing should never be a reminder of what you lack, but proof of why you hope. Someone else's blessing should never be a reminder of what you lack, but proof of why you hope. Saul, the things that David has done well and the things that he's been blessed in do not take away from your future. They do not have to mean the end for you. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to run after David and get rid of him because God works in David and he can also work in you. I wonder how many in this room have been looking at people around you, looking at their blessing and saying, I want that. God, I feel lacking. Instead of feeling hope. Instead of feeling thankful that God has been working and using and moving in people's lives. 
Have you allowed God be to, God's blessing for other people to be the proof of your hope? The raise, the spouse, the baby, the title, whatever that has been in your heart that has been sitting, that have you allowed to become discontent and bitter and say, God, I've been doing all these things, I've been doing all these good things, and I, I see all of these other people receiving these blessings. Can we take those and allow them to be our hope? What would happen to Glory Church if every single person in this room submitted your wants and your desires to God and started to praise for everything that you see God doing? What kind of vision and perspective changes would our church have? What kind of lives would be changed? How many people would be coming in through the doors because they met someone who cared less about themselves and more about other people? That's what God's justice is all about. And so, band, if, if you want to come up, I'm going to keep talking for a little bit, but it might be nice to have some spiritual music b- behind it. Thank you. Because I want to end with a story that Jesus tells about a father and two sons. And Jesus tells it that there was the younger son who came up to his father one day and he had gotten sick of everything that was in his father's house. He'd gotten sick of not being able to experience his own way. He did not have vision for what his father was going to do. And he came up to his dad and he said, dad, I'm sick of being here. Would you give me my inheritance, what's owed to me, so I can go out and do with it what I want it? And we see this reoccurring theme of God's heart, that as the younger son goes up to to his father and asks for something that his father knows isn't good for him, he still gives it to him. Because he says, you get free will. I I let you choose because if you choose me, how beautiful is that that you got to choose? And his younger son goes out and he spends all the money. And I'm sure in his head, he, he had this idea that, that he was going to like grow this money and that he was going to become something. He's going to do something beautiful with it. And instead we see that he wastes it all. And a famine comes to the land. And the Bible says that this younger son was so hungry so hungry that he had to get a job feeding some pigs. And it's not until he's in that pig pen and he's looking at whatever grubs that he's feeding these pigs. Can you imagine it's in the middle of a famine? I'm sure the pigs weren't getting much, but the Bible says as he look at, looks at the food that he's, that he's trying to feed the, these pigs, he thinks about how good it was before. He begins to smell, even just smell the bread from his father's house all of the things that he could have had, but he chose to go his own way. And so he decides, I'm gonna go back to my father's house, but as he decides, he he begins to reason with himself, there's no way my father's gonna take me as his son. I already had the opportunity of that. If he could just see all of the wrong things that I've done, all the mistakes that I've made, the only way that he could ever take me back if I go is as a slave. And the Bible says that he, that he marches home and I picture him coming up over this hill. And the Bible says that his father sees him from a long way off. 
And you know what that tells me? Is that his father was waiting and watching. That his father was looking all the time, waiting for his son to come home. And the Bible says that he ran out of his house, that the father ran out of his house and he went and he met up his son. And I can only imagine, I want you to sit with me in this moment for a second because his son is coming up and he's, he's starting to spill all of the things that he's done wrong. Have you ever done that? Whenever you're trying to apologize to somebody, you're like, I did this and I did this and I did this. All of these bad things that happened and I've messed up. And so if you'll just, if you'll just forgive me, I'll do this and I'll do this. I'll be more than I was before or I'll take a blessed position if you would just forgive me. And he's spilling all of these things and his father looks at him and he puts on him a robe. And he looks back at his family and says, begin a feast, prepare a feast. Because my son who was lost is found. My son who was dead is now alive. You want to talk about justice this morning? That there was a God who, when he looked at Dalton, all of the wrong things that I had done, all the mistakes that I had made, when I came home and I said, God, I don't, I don't know how to make up for all the things that I've done. The person that I've been, I came to God and I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, go get the robe. Prepare a feast because my son was lost and now he is found. You want to talk about justice this morning? You want to be upset about justice this morning? That is the justice of our God. That lost or found. But there was another son. There was an older son. And this older son watched everything that happened. And the Bible says that he began to get bitter. He started getting bitter about what he was watching. And he thought about, I've been in my father's house. I've been doing the things. I've been going to church. I've been a part of a small group. And yet I see all these blessings for my, for my brother who's been making all these mistakes. I know all of their problems. I know all the things that he's done wrong. And yet I see a blessing for him that I feel like I don't have. And the bitterness and the discontentment rises in his heart. And I think about, this came to my mind this week as I was thinking about this story, about how the prodigal son, when he was in the pig pen, it took the, the stink, the stench of the pig pen to remind him of the goodness of God. And isn't it funny that when I've been, whenever I've been smelling something for a long time that I get used to it. And I had this vision of the older son getting used to the smell of his discontentment. He'd gotten used to the smell of his bitterness. He'd gotten used to the smell of his anger, and he lived in the middle of it. And so he, he missed out on the joys and the beauty and the blessing of what God was doing in the people around him. And I wonder how many hearts in this room that convicts. I wonder how many in this room would say, God, I have missed out on the blessing that you meant for the lost because I've been so concerned with what I don't have. And we forget that there was a time where God looked at you, lost, broken, ashamed in the pig pen, and that when you came home, he found you. He said you were found, and he put on you a robe. This is his justice. You want to talk about justice this morning. My God's justice is perfect. And he meets the lost. And so in a moment, Greg is going to come, and he's going to do an altar call. And I'm going to pray here for a second. But if God has convicted you this morning that you have been discontent, that you have been bitter, that you've been angry about your circumstance, whether you put in it, whether it's somebody that you're looking at, would you come to the altar? 
and say, God, I no longer want to miss out on the joys, on the goodness, on the things that you've been doing. I don't want to miss out on all the good things in this life because I've been so carried away with what I've been doing or what I could have. I don't want to be like Saul, God. Even if I put in a position that I wasn't ready for, I will submit my life to you. Wouldn't it have been beautiful for the older brother to go and wrap up his other brother and put the robe on him and say, just as my father accepts you, accepts you and loves you and says you were found, so do I. Oh, if I had some friends that were excited about putting a robe on some lost people. If I, in my heart, was truly excited, more excited about that than anything I could ever have, what would we see happen? And so, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace. And even in the times where I've looked at your justice and I've been dissatisfied, I've been angry, I've been upset, you have continued to show true justice. You've shown true love. And so I pray this morning that the people in this room would not be satisfied to sit in their brokenness, satisfied to sit in their anger, satisfied to sit in their their bitterness, but they would say, God, I'm going to come to the altar this morning because I no longer want to miss out on what you're doing. I don't want to miss out on the beautiful things. I want to be a part, Father. And I pray for anyone in this room during this next altar call that has never known Jesus as their Savior. They've been lost. They've been in the pig pen. And maybe that's, in the re- that's the reason they're in this room this morning. Is because they need to be found. They've been dead. But there's a reason to be alive. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.